welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction Today we're going to be discussing some aspects of how to teach beginning consultations effectively. Today we'll be discussing some aspects of how to teach the beginning of the consultation. I'm joined by Julian Tomkinson and Anne Thomas. Julian, can you say something about your role, please? Yeah, hi, Abril. I'm, I'm Julian Tomkinson. I'm a, a primary care medical educator uh, in the South and Central Manchester and also a GP trainer in, in Bolton. Thank you. And Anne, tell us what you do. Hi, Avril. Um, I'm a GP in Manchester and also primary care medical educator in Southampton for Manchester. So we all know that getting consultations off to a good start is very crucial. When you create a good rapport, organise the tasks of the consultation and build the relationship with the patient, this is often called investing in the beginning. If the consultation starts well, we get trust and communication established quickly which means everything else in the consultation goes more smoothly. So how can educators help other clinicians learn the skills of beginning the consultation most effectively? So Julian, would you like to tell us something about how educators can teach these skills to other people? Yes, th thanks, Avril. Um, as you've said, investing in the beginning of the consultation is crucial. Many of the problems that appear later in the consultation can be traced back to something that probably could have gone better at the start and so to develop the skills and beginning consultations effectively clinicians and educators can focus on specific areas um, these are how to prepare for the consultation by reading the notes and being physically psychologically and emotionally prepared uh, to start the consultation then there's how to build and develop rapport how to learn the most effective opening questions and how to practice active listening and then we come on to agenda setting. Okay, well, let's focus on agenda setting skills for now. Both you and Anne have had very considerable experience of teaching this in groups. Anne, could you start us off by saying how you approach this subject with your clinicians in training? Yeah, uh, in the group, we usually start by asking our clinicians to share their experiences, what problems they might have had in structuring the consultation. Uh, they'll often report issues around patients bringing seemingly unmanageable lists of problems or maybe being blindsided by late presentations. And these cause them stress and, and sometimes even resentment. It really troubles them that patients bring up these additional problems at the end of the consultation, particularly when they thought they were in control of the structure or the timing. So we then go on to ask what methods they've tried to achieve structure and control in the consultation. And then we explore whether the group has experience of screening or of setting the agenda. So, Julian, this question of screening comes up a lot. Do you find that the clinicians you're working with have concerns about this approach of screening for further concerns before they start gathering information about the first thing the patient has said? Yeah, very much. It's a really common theme that, that uh, I hear from uh, colleagues and, and from from people learning. Um, I think screening for all the things a patient wants to discuss in the consultation often feels like you're looking for work and creating work. Um, clinicians often say to me that it'll, it'll feel like I'm opening Pandora's box. 
they also feel that the technique can interrupt the flow of the consultation. So maybe the patient started telling them about the first thing that they have on a list and actually by just briefly pausing and asking them what other things they have to discuss, it interrupts the flow and might, might in some way um, negate the consultation uh, where, where it's up to. So how do you address that when you're teaching? What, what do you say to your clinicians when you're in a, in a group? What we do is we have a real discussion around the power of language and we discuss the benefits of using specific phrases to achieve control and to keep the structure. We talk about using what else had you planned to discuss in preference to is there anything else you would like to discuss? And once we introduce the skills of screening to identify all the problems the patient had planned to discuss, we then go on to explore the skills needed for negotiating that agenda. As Julian said earlier, these include rapport building, active listening to really hear the patient's story, including their ideas and also their expectations, and then sharing the think your thinking to plan the agenda. Um, as Julian said also, the clinicians in training are really daunted by the thought of lists or dealing with multiple problems. So what we do is use a skills rehearsal technique where we divide the learners into groups of three and have a simulated patient, a clinician to practice their skills and an observer. We ask the simulated patient to bring a list of multiple problems um, and the clinician can then have the chance to try out the skills of screening and then the skills of negotiating an agenda. The observer's role is then to give feedback by recording what they see and hear and then the outcome from the skills observed. We go on what we'll do then is debrief that exercise as a whole group and encourage each of the group to highlight effective skills that they've observed and then share their learning. It's usually a really interesting session. It can be a really light bulb moment for some of these clinicians in training as they come to realise that by developing these skills, it really is possible to create structure and feel in control of the consultation, even if a patient brings several issues. That, that's really helpful, Anne. And it, it's very interesting that there seem to be a combination of teaching methods here. At the beginning, you're really exploring the learner's concerns, their worries, um, what they've experienced already, which is quite similar, isn't it, to how you open a consultation with a patient and see what they're bothered about at the beginning. But then you explore that in some discussion and you also then offer a little bit of theory and a little bit of explanation as to why different skills might be helpful. And then you follow that up by actual practical um, experiencing of the skills with feedback uh, and very much focusing on one specific area of the consultation, not doing a role play of a whole consultation, but focusing on the beginning. So that sounds like very effective teaching methods to me. Julian, I, I wondered if you had any thoughts about the best way, the best teaching methods to use, if you like, when you're teaching one-to-one, -one, you know, in a tutorial, perhaps with the trainee or something like that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the one-to-one -one setting can use many of the concepts Anne's just described. And as she said, it's often a light bulb moment when the trainee realises the benefit. Um, I was listening to a, a, a famous sports coach the other day um, describing how he once upon a time told and trained uh, the world number one a particular technique but it took him a few months before he actually took that advice on and then called him up and said oh what you suggested really works and that's some of the feedback I get from my, my own trainees and also in the group setting. Um, I think the first thing that it requires is that the educator 
has a real belief and passion about the benefits of agenda setting. It's really hard to um, advocate something without truly believing it um, in yourself, because it's not like anything that's a skill to learn. It, it requires, um, especially this one, as it's. I think this is probably the biggest sea change in 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 where the trainees' um, consultation skills have been up to now, and I think often requires quite a lot of persistence on the on the clinician's part and also on the educator's part to to sort of get the message, practice the message, and then revisit it and refine. So I think in a one-to-one -one setting, first of all, I think it's really important to pick up the, the clues that a trainee may need some help in this. And you may, that may be obvious just by directly observing a live or a recorded consultation. It may also come out though, by hearing the clinician express frustration or difficulties at dealing with patients who have list presentations or present with important symptoms at the end of a consultation. So once um, identified, the benefits of screening agenda setting can be discussed and then practiced. And as mentioned in a face-to-face, -face, this, this may start as a simulation exercise, encouraging the clinician to try and practice uh, these skills and that, that can follow. It's then, I suppose it's important to, to try and allow the clinician to then decide the best way forward. Some people may get it and take it up. Um, one phrase we quite often use in teaching is, it's a consultation skill, it's a tool, but it's not a rule and it's up to you whether you do it. And I think trying to make it uh, an absolute must sometimes has a, a negative effect. But you might suggest that, this, that the, the clinician practice the skill on every patient in the next surgery and then agree a review uh, and, and review, review the outcomes. If it's a big change for the clinician, it, as I've said, it may require a lot of practice before they become comfortable and competent. And there's at this point where it's easy for, for people learning a new skill to think, well, I'll go back to how I was doing it the old way. So it's, I suppose it's the educator's role to continue to encourage, watch, listen, and coach the clinician. Uh, and this may be identifying a particular belief that the, the uh, clinician has, or by helping them with the timing or the language used. I think it's really, can I stop you there? Because you've said so much and it, it's so interesting to think about this process because you're really talking about exploring the clinician's attitudes, uh, offering them some changes and some different ways of doing things, but also you're wanting to show the benefits of changing the skills and using different skills, enabling them to make it their own by using a form of words that feels most comfortable for them, the idea that it's a tool, not a rule. But then there's this very crucial element of follow-up and support where you're reviewing what's happening and helping people to refine what they're doing, practice it again, try it again, check it out in different recordings. So it's quite a complex process, and it's also taking place over time from what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the mantras that Anna and I both, we both say is uh, we learned this the hard way. Uh, through 20 years of, of uh, not knowing what to do and, and we'd like to share that and I know you've, you've I've heard you say that in the past that you learned how to do this the hard way and hopefully some of the things that we've learned over our careers we can impart onto people just setting, upon the, setting out on the journey. I think that's a really really important point because it comes back to this question of belief that 
we've all experienced problems with the beginning of the consultation when we didn't use these skills and we didn't find out what the patient was planning to talk to us about. And, and when you've done that a few million times and it's all gone wrong, the incentive to try these skills is much higher. But you're right, as educators, what we're trying to do is shortcut that painful failure, as it were, and offer a way for trainees and, and clinicians to learn these skills directly and quickly. Um, I think you've already talked about some methods to reinforce learning and to evaluate whether the training has been effective um, by reviewing what's happened and helping people to refine. I think another really key point that can be helpful is to either in groups or in one-to-one -one training actually ask people to write down their key learning points and ask them to commit to when they're going to try out the new skill that you've been offering um, you know, perhaps in the next surgery that they're going to do or whatever. Uh, and that can really help to reinforce learning. And I'm wondering if you ever try out things like that. Absolutely. I think uh, as part of the plan for the for a, a tutorial or a, an educational event, having having a sort of set plan to review. Again, you, you, you made a reference to consultations. It's the same in consultation. There's a there's a, a decision made and then a plan and then a review process goes on and these things roll on to the actual teaching of the consultation. Yeah, teaching's got a lot of similarities, hasn't it? You know, that in a tutorial you have to set an agenda, you have to have a plan and then this review and follow-up process is quite similar to safety netting and offering review to patients, isn't it? There's a lot of parallels there. So, Anne, would you like to sum up about this session? Yeah, thank you both very much. It's been a really interesting discussion. I suppose we've heard that often clinicians in training do feel daunted when faced with multiple problems. Uh, by the methods we've described and by encouraging them to identify these issues and then by introducing the skills we've talked about of screening and agenda setting, we then allow the clinicians to discover that structure and safety in the consultation can be improved and using a skills rehearsal to put this into practice and then getting feedback from peers or educators reinforcing, reinforces both the skills and demonstrates the outcomes. This chapter in the teaching and learning consultations module has got details of how to run sessions on this subject, both the one-to-one -one and group sessions. See the written materials in the beginning consultations effectively chapter. Look out for other podcasts for educators working on teaching and learning consultation skills and for the associated infographics. Thank you very much, Anne. And finally, I'd just like to remind educators that the chapter in this module, which is called Methods for Teaching Consultation Skills, includes detailed descriptions of how to make skills rehearsals really effective and how to use other teaching methods really effectively so that your learners will make progress quickly. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all. 